Good morning. Please join me in the reading of Scripture from 2 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 1 through 19. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion here have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The word of the Lord. My name's Eric, um, one of the pastors, one of the Pastor Eric's here at Trinity. We're in a series on the book of Chronicles called Renew. And we've been looking at one of the main themes in the book of Chronicles is that we can really only truly know who we are, our identity. We can only truly know why we're here in light of a greater story. 
in light of a greater narrative. And if you remember, just a quick review here, you can even cheat and peek. The very first word in the book of Chronicles is Adam. Why would you begin a book with the name Adam? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but Chronicles is signaling something to us. It's saying, here is a retelling of the story of God's work in history. And in this story, you rediscover why God made you and how he is remaking you into the image of God so that you might find your identity in this story and you might find your purpose. Today, as we read, as she read, we're looking at the story of King Rehoboam. Who is King Rehoboam? I know his story was a little lengthy as you were following along. But King Rehoboam is the son of King Solomon, one of the more well-known kings of Israel. So he's the, he's the grandson then of David, King David. So in his lineage, he's coming right after two of the greatest kings in Israel, the, the greatest. They built the nation of Israel into an empire. It was very prosperous. It was in its golden age. And Rehoboam's story is about how this golden age ended, how it broke down, and how it divided. Let me ask a question to begin. Have you ever been a part of a community that broke down, that divided, that was healthy and strong and vibrant? It was in a golden age of some sort, and then you had to experience the fracturing and the dividing of that community. That's always very hard. When we moved down to San Diego in 2006, it was the first time my wife, Amelia, and I, we lived in a home on a street, a single-family home kind of thing. And as we're getting to know the street and the neighborhood, uh, soon we started to get to know our neighbors and realized it was a strong community. It was like a really fun street to live on. Halloween was a big deal. We we had relationships that, that went beyond just saying hello to our neighbors. And we, we thought, this is like the best. This is one of the best neighborhoods. And then something happened between two people in this community, two neighbors, and there was a breakdown. And so there were sides. There was like side A and side B. And every time you went outside, if you were talking to one neighbor, you were looking over there and saying, I don't know if I want that neighbor looking at me and talking to this neighbor and vice versa. So what was what we thought one of the best neighborhoods, it just turned out into a very awkward and difficult community to be a part of. And it was, it was terrible. It was so hard. Unfortunately, I've had a few church experiences like this too, and that can be even harder. Maybe right now you're in a relationship, you're in a community that's going through some kind of division or fracturing or breakdown. And anytime that happens, it's so hard. When we go through something like that, we're asking questions a lot of the times. We're asking, why is this happening? And can any good come from this? My Christian friends were often wondering, where is God in this? The story we just read, the story of Rehoboam, is about the beginning of this breakdown, about what caused it, about why it happened, but it's also about how God was at work in the midst of it all. At the heart of this story of the breakdown is the theme of servanthood and service. The Hebrew word abad 
servant or service is one of the main themes and repeated words in the story of Rehoboam. It's there in chapter 10 that we just read, chapter 10, verse 4 and 10, three times. And then we'll see as we look at chapter 12, it's repeated another three times at the end of his story. Both times, chapter 10 and chapter 12, it's telling a story of Rehoboam's failure. And both times it was due to an unwillingness to serve, first to serve the people, and then we'll see in chapter 12 to serve God. So today's message, we're going to look at a rediscovery or renewal of service. And we're going to begin by looking at Rehoboam's two failures, his failures to serve, serving others and serving God, and how God was at work even in the midst of these. And we'll see how this story, which is a tragic story, can actually lead us to a renewal and a rediscovery of servanthood and service in our lives. So let's look at the first point, serving, serving others, if you're following along in your bulletin there in the outline. Let's do a little bit more review of the story and the context. This is a story of this great rift or division in the story of Israel, how it happened. How did the 12 tribes that came into the land of Canaan and Israel, who had been united under David and Solomon... How do they end up splintered and fractured? Now, this is in the background. It's more directly told in Kings in the parallel story. But this wasn't all Rehoboam's fault. His father, Solomon, was treating people harshly. He had massive building projects. He was building an empire. And what we learn is that he was essentially treating people as forced slaves, forced labor, and heavily taxing them. Some people, like the figure Jeroboam, who's mentioned at the beginning of chapter 10, they started pushing back and saying, this is too harsh. You need to lighten this, Solomon. Solomon didn't like that, so Jeroboam had to flee. He came back when he learned that Solomon had died, and so they gathered to have a meeting. The meeting was in northern Israel in Shechem, and this was supposed to be Rehoboam's moment, his crowning, his time to ascend to the throne. But the people said there in verse 4 of chapter 10, your father Solomon treated us like servants. It was hard service. It was forced service. If you will lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, we will serve you. This is a story about service. So what does Rehoboam do? He goes to two different sets of advisors. One's called the old men and one's called the young men. So at first, we might think when we're reading about the young men, are these like 20-year-olds or are these like his teenage buddies? But the reality is Rehoboam, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, was 41 years old when he took the throne. I'm, I'm 41. I just turned 41. So I think maybe the chronicler was in his early 40s because he calls this group of 40-year-olds young men. I'm like, yes, I like this guy. So these guys weren't young. These were his friends growing up, but he was in his 40s. They're not inexperienced teenagers. They're not young in age, but in character and maturity. But first, Rehoboam goes to the older counselors, Solomon's advisors, and they say, be good. Please, the people, speak good words to them, and they will be your servants. In 1 Kings 12, 7, the cross and parallel reference says, this is what they said, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, 
When you answer them, they will be your servants forever. So this older group of counselors said, Rehoboam, this is your chance. Serve the people. Listen to their needs. Be a servant leader, and in turn, they will serve you forever. This is your chance to build a new bond of servanthood between you and the people of Israel. And so in verse 8, we see Rehoboam says, hmm, let me think about that. No. And he goes straight to his buddies that he grew up with, the young men. So let's see what the younger guys say. And in verse 10 and 11, they say, here's what you need to say, Rehoboam. You think my father's yoke was heavy? Mine's heavier. You think it was hard under Solomon? It will be harder under me. I'm harsher, I'm badder, I'm stronger. And he said, yes, that that is what I should do. I'm going to try that. And then what resulted was a division. The ten tribes of Israel said, we're not having that, we're out. And it was two and ten, and there was a division in the twelve tribes. It broke apart the nation. What do we see from this? What can we learn from this? I just want to point out a couple things. First, communities fracture and divide when people, especially leaders, fail to listen. Verse 13, Solomon didn't listen to the older, wiser counselors. In verse 15, if you look at verse 15, the narrator gives us a summary. It says, so the king did not listen to the people. If Rehoboam would listen to the people, that they needed rest, they needed recuperation. They were tired. They were weary. He would have learned that he was called to a ministry of leading people into recovery and recuperation. That's what they needed. And what was going on with Rehoboam? Why did he do something that seems, as we're reading, to, as we're reading it for us, so foolish, so arrogant? Well, Dr. Joel Kim already said it. He thought it was about him. He said, this is my opportunity to prove it's about me. I'm following the true greatest kings of Israel, David and Solomon. And so he had this mixture of pride. Here's my moment and insecurity and fear. How will I ever live up to David and Solomon's legacy? He needed validation. He needed to prove himself. And so he said, this is my opportunity to prove how awesome I am, how competent and strong I am. And the very thing he feared... The very thing he feared that he would fail to live up to, it happened. Under his watch, the kingdom splintered. The very thing he wanted to prove, that he was strong, was proven to be false. When ten tribes just left and he had to flee. Application for us. Service, serving others means listening to the needs of the communities that God has placed us in. Often we go into community first looking, how can my needs be met here? What's in it for me? Or we look for ways that the community is weak and we want to critique it and move on. And in Orange County, one thing we all love about living in Orange County is we have options. If this Trader Joe's doesn't give me good service, there's another one right down the street. If I don't like this restaurant, there's 500 restaurants over here in the next neighborhood. If my kids' activities... Oh, this isn't good. It's not a good enough coach. It's not happening. I'll just go over here to a new coach and a new team. That happens in all the facets of our lives as well as in our churches. We go 
into communities as consumers rather than as contributors and servants to that community. And what Rehoboam shows us is that through his failure, serving others begins with listening. It applies to the workplace, to parenting, to marriage, any place where we have influence. We enter in and we begin the act of service by listening to the needs of the people God has put into our lives and the communities he's placed us in. Something else that we see here is that serving others means guarding unity. If you look at verse 16, it's a little bit of a poem. And I didn't have any idea what this verse was talking about until I looked at it this week. And verse 16 is actually this reverse poem of 1 Chronicles 12, 18. It's a line-by-line reversal of the pledge that their ancestors had made to David. They said, David, we are with you. We are one with you. We are on your side. Line by line, it's reversed. All that God had done through David was undone here. Just like that, there was a rift and a division. And if you see how the chronicler describes this, he says, this division is lasting until this day, until his day. To get some time perspective on this, this event, Rehoboam's reign and the split happened in 930 B.C. And Chronicles was probably written sometime in the 400s. 500 years later. How easy it is to divide. Just one word. Just one rash comment. And 500 years of division results. How hard it is to maintain unity. I know we're hearing it a lot, but one of the most prominent features of our day and age in our culture is division. It's the fracturing in our culture, in our country, in our communities. Division is a daily reality for us. It only takes one rash or foolish sentence or post or tweet to tear apart a community. But it takes diligence, hard work, devotion to keep a community united. And servants place the good and the unity of the community over their own preferences. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says it like this, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's only one body and one Spirit, just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Apostle Paul is saying, be in practice what you are in reality, united in Jesus Christ. Serving others means guarding the unity of the communities that God has placed us in. As we transition from serving others to serving God, we see that Rehoboam had two major failures as king. We read about the first one in chapter 10. The second one is written for us in chapter 12. I'm going to have us look at that in just a moment. His first failure had to do with serving people, chapter 10, and later, as we see in chapter 12, his second failure had to do with serving God. Let me read for us from chapter 12. It's in your bulletin on page 6. This is three years after chapter 10. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, 
came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people were without number who came with him from Egypt, Libyans, Sukiim, Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Then the principles, the, the princes of Israel and, and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. In verse 8, I want to key in on this. He says, nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. One of the main things I think we're supposed to take away from the story of Rehoboam is how his two failures were linked together. The failure to serve others and the failure to serve God. It gets to the heart of what God wants to teach us in conflict and in breakdown and in disharmony. And that's this, that the way that we learn to be a servant to others is when we know the difference between serving God and serving anything else. The way we learn to be a servant to others is when we know the difference, verse 8, between serving God and serving anything else. When it says in chapter 12 that Rehoboam abandoned God and all Israel with him, it means that they, instead of worshiping and following the God of the Bible, they began serving the idols of the surrounding cultures and nations. And God used the threat of invasion by Shishak of Egypt to teach Rehoboam and Judah a lesson. When they humble themselves, verse 8, it tells us what God is doing. It tells us how he was at work in Rehoboam's failures and in this painful division and fracturing. He was teaching. And three words capture the essence of what he wanted his people to learn. Know my service. I want you to know the difference between my service and serving Anything else? The way we learn to be a servant to others is when we know that difference. I want to unpack verse 8. There's three aspects to what God is teaching here. First, everyone serves something. There's no neutral ground. There's no option. There's no third option. And in modern Western culture, nothing can be seen for us to be more antithetical to finding happiness and fulfillment than being a servant or being a slave. Losing or giving up our individual freedom, our right to self-expression and self-determination. We think that's the greatest nightmare. But the Bible says that all sin is slavery. Enslavement is one of the Bible's main perspectives on the whole of sin. Jesus said in John 8.34, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And redemption... The image of redemption means to be set free from slavery into freedom, which is found in service to God. What God is saying is this is what we need to learn, that all masters except God will give us a heavy yoke and a hard service. 
Every other master will demand payment from us, will take from us, will take our energy and our time and our service to any other master will never be enough. They'll always demand more. Some examples. Some examples for us. If our master is success, we can never be good enough. We can never have enough success. If our master is comfort and pleasure, we'll always need a little bit more. We'll always be searching for that next thing. If our master is control, we'll always be fearful that we don't have enough control, that we'll lose control, we'll be a slave to that insecurity. If our master is approval, the approval of others, we find that we can never quite get enough affirmation or praise. One of the ways God teaches us the difference between his service and the service of anything else is allowing us to experience this. To experience the service to things other than him. To feel the yoke. Everyone serves something. Secondly, the second lesson embedded in verse 8 is what we serve determines how we serve others. What, what it is that we are living for controls us. It shapes all of our relationships. The master of ambition and success uses people to get ahead. The master of lust uses people as objects, as means for our own pleasure. The master of approval uses people for our own justification, for our own sense of self-worth. And if we serve our career and our success, we can leave behind our family and relationships. If we serve our own comfort, we become angry and irritable at the needs of others. Even if our ultimate master is another person, is a relationship. We can't really serve and love them if we are dependent upon them for life. When we're enslaved, we can't serve others for their good. So often when our relationships break down, when communities were a part of experience fracturing and disharmony, God is teaching us the lesson of chapter 12, verse 8. He wants us to ask, who or what am I really serving? And so, if you're there this morning, if you're there in your life right now, a question we're called to ask is, how might God be teaching me this? It's hard, but it's for our good to set us free. The third lesson of verse 8, and my, our final point, everyone serves something. What we serve determines how we will serve others. And finally, to know God's service is to know Him as the God who serves. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus' last meal with His disciples, before He dies, Jesus is speaking to them about leadership. He says, the greatest among you is the servant of all. And there at the end of His lesson, He says, I am among you as one who serves. And this is what makes the God of the Bible vastly different and unique from all other gods, all other masters, anything else that we would serve. Every other God, every other master, every other thing we can serve says, salvation will come from you serving me. Give me your time. Give me your energy. And I'll deliver what you seek. 
you'll be saved. If you serve me enough, if you give me your allegiance, if you give me your effort, then I will give you what you want from me. But Christianity says, salvation comes from God serving us. It is the servanthood of God that saves us. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The word ransom is a payment for a slave to be set free. And even more specifically, that payment is usually the result of that slave or that servant becoming indebted of their own doing, of their own fault. And where we all, like Rehoboam, because we have fallen short of serving others and serving God, have incurred a debt. A debt in our failures to love God and love neighbor as we ought. Jesus says, I have come to serve you, to pay that debt, to give my life as a ransom to set you free. So despite all our failure to serve others, all the breakdown in our relationships and our communities that we can cause, despite our great failure to serve God as we ought with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in Jesus, God becomes our servant. He rescues us from our enslavement by becoming a servant to us. And that enables us to serve others. If God the absolute Lord and King serves me at his cost despite my failure and sin, then I can serve, I can sacrifice up for others despite of their imperfections, despite of their sins, despite the ways that I am wronged by them. If God, the King of the universe, values me enough to serve me, then I don't need to seek validation and identity from serving anything else. And if God, the King, the Master and Lord of all, serves me for my good, then I can learn to trust him with any of my needs that he is serving me for my best. God is the God who serves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we are humbled. We are humbled how you show us and you reveal the reality that the King, the God of the universe, the one to whom we owe all our obedience, all of our lives, everything we enjoy, that you haven't won our love and our service through force, but instead through humbly taking on the form of a servant, to live the life of service that we could never live, and in our place to serve us to the uttermost by dying the death we deserve. May that set us free from serving all other masters that we might serve you alone and be radically enabled to serve in the communities you place us in. Make that true of me. Make that true of us here at Trinity. Make that true of us as a church, that we might be a servant church. 
and you might send us out to serve wherever you call us. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.